Welcome to the Splinters Podcast from the team on the bench. Community Radio's leading no-holds-barred Friday night sports show. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the Raging Bull, Anthony Caruso. Good evening and welcome to Splinters, the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM. Streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com, Apple Store, YouTube Music, Spotify, TuneIn and all good podcast sites. We do it all for the Hornsby Korean Guide Post and Atlas Chartered Accountants. Anthony Bull Caruso and uh, finally, yes, finally, it is the end of May, it is the end of of the European football season for 2020 and 21. What a year it's been and what a changing of the guard we have seen over the last, guess, nine months or so as we start to move our way out of the COVID lockdown that has wrapped the world over the last, well, almost 15, 16 months. We've got plenty of football to talk to, continuing our run towards Euro 2021. Can't do this all tonight. So joining us once again is our Chief Football Correspondent, the Spicy Chorizo, Dom Rizzuto. Good evening to you. Good evening, Bull. Well, it's always sad when uh, the football comes to an end on the on the continent, but uh, what a season we've had across the top five to six leagues uh, within Europe. Uh, we've had some new winners. We've had some changing of the guards. We've had some narrow finishes. Um, all part of this crazy year two years that has been uh, in the world of sport and especially in the world of football, uh, where to begin and where how to describe the turn of events that has folded, unfolded, I should say, in front of us. It is it, it lost for words, really, uh, in a space where there's too many superlatives to use to describe such a situation. Absolutely. And what we've seen this year is that with the exception of maybe one league in particular, which we're not overly surprised because it seems to happen year in, year out, we've seen probably some of the most competitive football across the competitions we've seen in many years. Not only that, we will wrap up the European competitions, the Champions League and the Europa League, and we'll look at where we go ahead now that the European Super League has a pretty much bitten the dust. All that and plenty more to get through. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Splinters. I'm going to kick things off tonight with one of the biggest competitions that's not the English Premier League. We are talking the Spanish La Liga and Dom, they're back. Atletico Madrid has topped the charts again and broken the stranglehold that Real Madrid and Barcelona have had on this competition. Incredible. Uh, Atletico Madrid have done it again, in which the way they did it, the fairy tale behind it with Luis Suarez um, coming over from Barcelona and he wasn't wanted there and then he scored the winning goal on the final day to beat their cross-city rivals by just the two points. It's been a few years since they've been up the top. They almost bottled it before the last few games of the season. I think at Christmas time they were ahead by about 10, 12 points. Incredible uh, uh, season in La Liga. A real changing of the guard here. We've seen that... Uh, more so for Real Madrid and Barcelona in the Champions League this year and the way that they kind of got easily dealt with by some of the uh, the English teams and, and, and obviously the bigger teams in, in Europe, um, which, which is qu- quite incredible, really. Um, and even Sevilla 
had a had a had a little run, and even Real Sociedad was put up there for a period of time. <laughs> In, incredible season, full of twists and turns, and and good to see because we're quite, uh, I suppose, bored. If that's the nicest way to put it possible, seeing that duopoly for so many years. It's really good to see that Atletico Madrid are really trying to make a fist of it and become that third team. You mentioned the fairy tale before of Luis Suarez, the move from Barcelona to Atletico Madrid. It should be mentioned as well. I mean, Jan Oblak had an unbelievable season, uh, the winning the Zamora Trophy. But all of this comes back to the fact that even during the couple of years where things didn't quite go their way, the performance of Diego Simeone just continuing to drag this team beyond their means to another La Liga title. And it really does show his worth as someone who can rise above what is normally expected for a team. He's an incredible manager and it's uh, he's done... Great to stay there uh, for as long as he has, and, and he. One thing you've got to give him credit for is, you know, he was in two Champions League finals and lost both of them. It's really hard to bounce back from those kind of results. You know, you only have to look at someone like Mauricio Pochettino at Spurs, whose singular Champions League uh, final exit saw him and his Spurs side just absolutely capitulate the following season, which saw Jose Mourinho come in. Diego Simeone stuck by it. He he rebuilt the squad. He got rid of those players that were a part of that initial setup. You know, Antoine Griezmann, um, who comes to mind, Thomas Lamar has rebuilt it. Brought in Suarez, who's had an ama- who had an amazing season. Brought in a better goalkeeper in Jan Oblak, who's come on arguably the best goalkeeper in the world, in my opinion, um, currently, and just gets the team always playing at 120%. They don't play, I would say, a particularly attractive brand of football. They play like Simeone used to play, hard-nosed and got David Beckham sent off in the World Cup. You know, that's how they play. Uh, But it gets results, and if you enjoy that, the results over the way that your team plays, then Atletico Madrid is the team for you. The biggest disappointment was how Real Madrid tried to set themselves up to, to have a crack um, throughout the competition. I thought the biggest disappointment was them was the, the fanfare that resulted from them signing Eden Hazard, and he just hasn't fired for them. No, he's barely played a single game. The squad is ageing as well. You, you know, they've, 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 they miss Ramos for a good chunk of the back end of the season, which proved to be quite fatal for them in the end. Karim Benzema proved again, whilst not the most likeable player on the uh, circuit, uh, proved to be a very, very good player once again this year and, and almost dragged them to an unlikely turnaround. But an ageing Luka Modric and Tony Cruz don't quite have the same legs in the in the engine room as they used to. I just don't think they had the same star quality. You know, you had to look back two, three years ago when they were dominating Europe. They had Gareth Bale and Cristiano Ronaldo at their peak. Now they just don't have those same quality of players and they need to, to bring those guys in and try and rebuild a Galacticos if they're going to ever... I think become a dominant dominant force in, in in European football. But you know, a second place finish is fine. Zinedine Zidane is out the door for next year, but they will be disappointed. And with the European Super League, you know, officially done and dusted, their position in the Champions League next year is threatened as well. So, all in all, uh, yeah, a disappointing season for both Real Madrid and Barcelona. Really, the uh, the two the teams getting relegated to finish off on this: Iva Valladolid and Huesca getting relegated, but the teams coming back up now will be Espanyol, Mallorca, 
and one of a series of teams going through the playoff, including Girona, Raya Valasano, and everyone's favourite team to pronounce Sporting Gijon. Yeah, I thought it was Gijon. It is Gijon, but everyone everyone loves pointing out just going, yeah, the donkeys, Sporting Gijon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, look, Espanola and Mallorca coming back into the competition is promising to see, but the biggest one I think that's missing out of that, and it really does show how far they've dropped off a cliff, is Deportivo La Coruña. It's been a very, very long time since they've become, since they were a, a power in Spanish football, Deportivo. But uh, I think personally uh, have a special place in my heart because I think they have the world's greatest name for a sporting team, uh, Deportivo La Corona. I, I just love saying it. It's, it just rolls off the tongue so well. Uh, it's good to you know hear their name in the mix again. Oh, absolutely. You know, we hope to see them back again soon. Let's go across the border into Ligue 1 in France. And if you want to talk about upsets... How about this one? Lille, their first league uh, title for the first time since 2010-11 and only the fourth time in their history. Yeah, huge result here. PSG failing again on all fronts and just proving that, you know, money doesn't often buy you success. It can buy you uh, a position at the table, but there's a difference between actioning that into success. You know, they've won the... Numerous league titles, but they fell short again when they dropped Thomas Tuchel and brought in Mauricio Pochettino uh, to help guide them towards the title. He managed to bring them, I think, a, a couple of French um, domestic competitions, cup competitions, I should say. But, you know, they bowed out pretty poorly in the Champions League in the end. And then they were beaten by the uh, Lille and pipped at the post uh, in on the final day. It, really disappointing season, but great to see again, you know, the so-called Farmers Leagues. Um, actually springing up some results that's uh, against the grain. The other one that surprised me this year was uh, was Monaco, the big improver in this competition, up from ninth to third with Wissam Benyeda and Kevin Voland combining brilliantly up front, delivering 36 of the 76 goals that they scored in what was the third best attack in the competition behind PSG and Lyon. This, this is a club that, you know, have developed a bit of a reputation as being a selling club as of late, and you wouldn't pick that from a club that is as glamorous as um, AS Monaco. Well, it's a funny one, AS Monaco, isn't it? You know, you only have to look back about... 10 years when they were actually going to become like that first new age world's best team you know at the same time Manchester City were bought by uh, by uh, by the prince himself they were that next team and there was the within France um and and with this when the with the tax laws there um they were actually going to be this incredible team because they weren't going to have to pay any of that tax that was crippling French football um, teams because obviously it's its own governed state. However, I think what they failed to realise is, is that nobody actually lives in Monaco and no one would ever go to watch them. So, you know, it, it, it fell in a heap. Um, that, that was a disastrous end and then they, they went kind of straight back uh, down to the, the lower ranks of, the, of French football and they came back up, if you think about four or five years ago, with the likes of Killiam and Pape, Bernardo, Silva in the team and had a good run in the Champions League when they knocked Manchester City out at that time. Then they sold all those players and have had to rebuild again. So good to see that they're, you know, becoming a club that's, uh, you know, potentially going to be sticking around in that side, that top four for the French division because I think they should be based on you know the money and the investment that's gone into the club 
you want them to actually succeed. You hate seeing clubs spend a lot of money and then just having to like capitulate, kind of like Queen's Park Rangers. The a couple of other mentions um, in terms of the the very solid performances. Lyon Marseille ends up there once again. Memphis Depay showing his quality with 12 assists and showing why he is one of the highest rated midfielders alongside Dimitri Payet. The, this 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 competition has really become one where everyone's talking about the strikers that they've had, especially with the likes for PSG with having Kylian Mbappe and Neymar. But for mine, the, the quality has actually been in the midfield. And, and, and we should mention as well, Angel Dia Maria and Alexander Golovin, uh, who have really set the midfields alight and given the French competition a bit of starch as of late. Yeah, it's it's been devoid of talent outside of Paris for a very long time in Ligue 1. Uh, Monaco's had it in patches, but yeah, there's been no real kind of, you know, you, you start to see it now in the Premier League where you've got, you know, some of the best players in the world playing for clubs outside that top six. Nowadays in the French League, you, you don't really see that, but you are starting to see it a little bit more. You know, Dimitri Pyatt returned to Marseille. Um, Memphis Depay is back at Lyon playing really well. Alexander Golovin playing in uh, in Monaco colours, uh, you know, there's some, and you know having and Wisman Ben Yedder as well up front at Monaco. Those are sort of guys who are you know are, are strong, capable players who can make it a more competitive division. And I think more league one sells itself as a, a competitive division. More likely players are going to go there. So the last thing I wanted to bring up in terms of the French competition has been. The recent trend of the the role of manager in in the competi- in the competition it's probably just as if not more brutal than the than the Premier League these days. You know, the second of Thomas Tuchel, who was replaced as you mentioned, replaced with Pochettino, couldn't get PSG over the line. And it doesn't matter your reputation; no one is safe in this because during the season we've seen the likes of Paulo Sousa, Sachron Bordeaux, Patrick Vieira, Sachron Nice. Andrea Villas-Boas, sacked from Marseille. Raymond Dominac, sacked from Nantes. And now Christopher Galtier, who's just led Lille to a title, announced his resignation on 25th of May with a statement simply stating that he felt like his time was up. It's an interesting one, isn't it? I, I'm not too sure why there's such a lack of consistency and, and long-term planning with the manager within the French clubs. I mean, the Andre Villas-Boas one was as strange as it can get, really, um, with the with the coming together he had with a host of the support. I mean, Marseille season in general, uh, until they finished in um, fifth place, was, was disastrous, and they had to turn it around. Their fans riding out front of the training ground, it was... It wasn't pleasant sights, that's for sure, but I don't quite understand it. And uh, you start to think, why would you know you think that these clubs could ever go to the next level in a professional sense with the lack of genuine road mapping is beyond me. But maybe that's just how things work in France. Let's go to the next major competition, the Italian Serie A. And one, this is one of the biggest stories in Europe. Juventus's run at the top of the table has finally come to an end. Nine consecutive Scudetti, and it's Internazionale who's broken the run. Yeah, first time in a decade after their historic treble back in 2010 under Jose Mourinho. They finally did it, and they did it pretty comfortably in the end. It was really, really tight, and it, and it was really, really tight below them 
um, from second pretty much down to, to seventh in the end, in the way that this league panned out. But it changed, the league changed about four or five times between AC Milan and, and Inter, um, and then eventually Inter's far superior squad, in my opinion, shone through. Um, AC Milan losing Slatan Ibrahimovic uh, in the back half, or so the back third of the season, I should say, was a real um, loss for them because they started to drop points and they lacked that talismanic leader, um, which didn't quite see them through uh, in the end. But Inter, all credit to them. Antonio Conte once again showing why he's one of the best managers in the game uh, and another one who's who's leaving the club after after title success as well. Um, you know, incredibly, um, the owners of Inter Milan want their wage bill cut down by something ridiculous, like 70%. Um, how they think that that's going to um, keep them at the top of the, <laughs> the Serie A, I have no idea. But another enthralling season, Juventus finally beaten, um, only just scraped into a Champions League spot as well by a point. Atalanta, again, incredible finish for a club that um, doesn't spend nearly uh, the same amount of money as the ones uh, within this top seven. Uh, and in the rest, well, look, you know, personally, I thought, you know, Roma's seventh place finish was, was a shocker, but uh, they'll take it. But an, an enthralling season, and again, good to see that there was some sort of competitive clashes all the way pretty much to the end. Now, a lot of the talk around the merry-go-round for managers is going to be centred around Italy with some peripheral damage occurring elsewhere. Of course, all eyes were on what was going to happen with Zinedine Zidane walking away from Real Madrid, and then the announcement that Andrea Pirlo had been sacked as manager of Juventus, I thought rather harshly, given that he was basically told to go in there and fix what Sarri had done, and that and it goes far beyond what they would think initially. For mine, as a Juve fan, the squad needs to be blown up and started again because they've held on to some players for way too long. Pirlo's not the person to do it. He's barely done his penance in the under-21s. So they've now gone and brought in Massimo Allegri, but that means now that Zidane and Conte are genuine free agents. Indeed, you know, there were talks about what was going to happen elsewhere with the likes of, you know, your Roma replacing Paolo Fonseca with Jose Mourinho and then Gattuso leaving Napoli for Fiorentina and Simone Inzaghi allowing his contract to lapse at Lazio. Imagine if you had, let's say Conte goes somewhere within Italy. Uh, you know, they're, they're, I reckon there's probably places he can go to, you know, there, there's, there, where he could probably get picked up. And then let's just say that Zidane comes back to Italy somehow. Imagine the calibre of managers within the Serie A next season if Zidane and Conte find jobs in Italy. I think that'd be more exciting than the actual football. Jose Mourinho, Zinedine Zidane, Antonio Conte, Mauricio Sarri, Gennaro Gattuso, you know. Some serious personality. I mean, yeah. <laughs> imagine if all six of them, all seven of them, were still in the, if all in the Serie A. That's that is wild. That is absolutely wild. <laughs> A couple of the other mentions are uh, getting relegated from the Serie A: Parma, Crotone, and Benevento. The first time we've seen Parma 
uh, relegated from Serie A since the days of when they were flying high in Europe and then all of a sudden Parmalat, who were bankrolling the team, absolutely collapsed. The top five goal scorers, no surprise, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo beating out Romelu Lukaku and just the talent, that the underrated talent that sits in this competition. Ruzan Malinovsky at Atalanta with 11 assists and then in behind him, Rodrigo De Paul, Peter Zielinski, Duvan Zapata, and your very own Henrik Mkhitaryan. Yeah, Mkhitaryan had a good season um, alongside the other ones as well. Be interesting to see where he he stays in the capital for another season. Uh, Peter Zielinski has had big, big raps on him, potential movement. So it'll be interesting to see if he will stay in Italy as well. But look. There's plenty of talent within this area, uh, and I think you know one of the big focuses on the clubs will be trying to actually maybe t- take another European title back to the the boot, whether that be in the Champions League or the uh, the Europa League. I'm not too sure yet, but that's probably what it's crying out for, considering that the talent that's available there t- uh, within Italy uh, and potentially a, a return to the former glory days of the 90s. Uh, on the horizon, we can I think only these are the hope. kind of players that are going to attract. They're going to have to be able to attract them. I mean, I don't see why not. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Really, alongside these, uh, but I would, you know, especially within Italy and Spain, uh, I, I don't think it's necessarily too, should be too difficult for them to return to the glory days. They just need to have a a sky like investment into the competition from a TV perspective, because when you think about it as a player. Where would you rather live whilst getting paid a lot of money? Would you rather live in Manchester, miserable old Manchester, or would you rather live in somewhere like Milan or Turin or Madrid or Barcelona? I mean, I know where I'd choose. <laughs> I'll be on the I know where I'd choose. I'd be on the next plane to Turin, but uh, you know, I, I'm neither that good or that young these days. So <laughs> let's go to the let's go to the Bundesliga, and we've gone through three competitions that saw upheavals, and then we go to the Bundesliga, and Bayern Munich have won again. Ah, uh, the monopoly <laughs> continues, uh, despite the the emergence of Erling Haaland at uh, Borussia Dortmund and RB Leipzig's. Uh, uh, you know, continuous, uh, continual grow as a, as a professional outfit. They still didn't have enough for the machine, which is Bayern Munich stormed through the season again off the back of a whopping 41 goals from Robert Lewandowski. Incredible achievements by the Polish international. And amazing again that they just do it with ease. Hansi Flick once again does his job. He's off though. He's over to, he'll catch the German national side once Jaquim Lowe has finished up with them at the Euros. Um, they bring in that, uh, RB Leipzig coach whose name is escaping me currently. But once again, another incredible season for, for the team that wears red. We then go to the assists and we, there's a similar story with Thomas Muller. Top in the assists, but um, the big surprise for me was the performance of Philip Kostic and Daichi Kamada, the Japanese international, both playing for Eintracht Frankfurt with 14 and 12 assists respectively. You know, Frankfurt is starting to build quite nicely, and what we're seeing here is almost a Bundesliga 1.5 developing. It's like no one's paying attention to actually anyone who's leading because everyone assumes it's going to be Bayern Munich. 
Yeah, Adric Frankfurt have become a, a, a decent side in recent times. You know, I think if they still had uh, Jovic up front, that they'd still be pretty good before he's uh, move over to uh, Real Madrid, where he hasn't even played uh, two games. But they've done well with the money that they uh, that they got for him, and have and have turned themselves into a, a strong a strong outfit within Germany. And if you look, uh, you know, away from uh, the leaders by Munich, it's a Pretty bottleneck uh, down to um, Eintracht Frankfurt from RB Leipzig. So there's, you know, there's it's competitive this division. They these teams just haven't quite caught up to Bayern Munich yet, and I'm not sure when they will. The big talking point is the two teams getting relegated. The third one that dropped into that drop zone, FC Köln, managed to survive the relegation playoff, but. The two teams getting relegated, and they're big ones as well. Once again, Werder Bremen and Schalke. And you would never have thought you'd be seeing the day where you'd be talking about both Schalke and Werder Bremen getting relegated. But the, the, the biggest tragedy here is Schalke. You know, we're talking 2014, no debt, and the, com- and the club making profits regularly. They're now in a debt of 240 million euros, needed a 30 million euro bailout from the local government to keep the club afloat. They get relegated and they're rioting as well outside the stadium. It is a sad, sad sight for this once proud club. Uh, I mean, their season was an absolute shambles. Uh, you only had to look at the, the amount of games that they <laughs> losing run that they'd been on um which was almost almost which almost became a record until they picked up that win on the game which would have equaled or i think extended them past the the team that has got it i think whatever they call that the that something tasmanian team in germany that owned it before owned it before i mean incredible you would have think they were in a champions league semi-final not too long ago and uh, now they're playing, going to be playing Bundesliga 2. Where to Bremen as well? Look, I don't quite understand, you know, how they're down there as well. They were probably one of the, they were the last team, I think, to even win a Bundesliga for Mary. They were the ones who got the closest, um, I think, before Dortmund did it. So, and so, I mean, imagine, you know, uh, that these two clubs are, uh, are going to have to bounce back and bounce back fast. I mean, being the, the, uh, such size as we've mentioned you would think that potentially a drop to the championship or Bundesliga 2 I should say uh, could be good for them perhaps just so that they can regroup and build again well with that we're going to get to half time have a quick drink have a quick break and when we come back we'll have part two of the European football wrap for 2021 you are listening to Splinters the bench podcast on Triple H 100.1 FM streaming on the web at www.triplehfm.com.au and available for download at podcast.com Apple Store YouTube Music Spotify TuneIn and all good podcast sites of course we do it all for the Hornsby Guy Post and Atlas Chartered Accountants we'll be right back 